Hey there, video game fans. I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Push Dustin. And this is Memory Card. So, Ben, I feel like we talk a lot about fitness and video games. Like, this is like our, what, third episode about it? Um, I think so. Something like that. And then we have more coming up this season. Yeah. So, do you like working out? I mean, I guess, I guess you are a uh coach right yeah yeah you do track yeah track and cross country i honestly am not like a huge fan i force myself Mm -hmm. to ride the bike every other day that the bike inside that i have next to my tv and like do some really basic stuff like push-ups and crunches and sit-ups just so i can maintain Mm -hmm. the very little thing that i have left of my body (laughs) (laughs) i i ran track in college um which you'll hear about in a future episode and i feel like that was probably like the best shape of my life but since then i've just been coaching it and i've kind of you know fallen off I'm, i'm not out of shape but i'm not like in the best shape i've ever been in that's for sure yeah i was gonna ask how do you find the motivation to keep going and and to keep working out Honestly, I feel like a big part of it is um, my wife, uh, because mm-hmm. she is not all about working out, but she's like super dedicated to it. Like she works out more than mm-hmm. I do. She actually goes out and like runs and has like a regiment of lifting and stuff like that. So I see her doing it. And I'm like, well, I should probably keep my body <laughs> in good shape as well. I don't want really, to be the uh, dumpy one in the relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to keep trying, right? Do you find time to get out and get active? Yeah, um, I was much better with it in 2020. And then at the end of 2020, I kind of slacked off a little bit. So like over the holidays, I definitely gained a couple of uh, pounds just from um, sitting at home and eating um, during the Christmas holiday. Right. Yeah. yeah. I got lots of candy in my stocking and, you know, there's like gingerbread men and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. So I feel like a lot of people put on a few pounds during the holidays, but. Yeah, now that it's like we're recording this in uh, mid-January and, and like I'm like just this week, I'm like, OK, now I, I need to start working out again. Like <laughs> I, I'm at this point where I'm just like, I'm not happy. I need to lose some weight. And so I, I've been thinking about working out and moving. And that's where I came up with this uh, topic for today's uh, episode. All right. Well, shall we get this episode moving then? Yes, let's do it. So I've been really interested in video game fitness and like gaming fine workouts for a long, long time. Like one of my first experiences was uh, Wii Fit, but unfortunately we won't, won't be talking about that. We'll be talking about the, the everything that kind of led up to Wii Fit and everything like that. The inspiration. The inspiration, the story behind the story. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, like, do you have any experience with that kind of gaming where you're like, you have to move around a lot and... um you know, be active or exercising? I would say, I mean, I, I think I picked up Wii Fit when it first came out because I, you know, was just mm-hmm. buying everything that the Wii offered. And I like the thought of the balance board. But the game or the series that I feel like I've, I've done the most is probably DDR. Mm. When it comes to moving, at least. I had the Mario mix and then I had a, a really good friend who had a PlayStation 2 that lived a few doors down and we would always hang out and uh, play DDR on his system. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, eat Swedish fish. I, I distinctly remember that. <laughs> DDR and Swedish fish. Yeah, DDR and Swedish fish. You're burning calories, you're gaining calories. Just, you kind of even out. <laughs> yeah, you're keeping the input and the output the same, and that's important. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, the game that I actually want to start off with is something that probably a lot of people don't think about when they th- um, think about like moving. But um, one of the first arcade games that actually involved people moving was uh, Whack-A-Mole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like it's it's like such a staple. Like it's in like every arcade that you go to. And like every um, what's that? Um, Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese and stuff like that. You know, you get the <laughs> tickets, the some some form of whack-a-mole. I remember there was one when I was a kid that was like um, instead of moles coming up from the ground, it was like alligators coming out of little caves. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you, and they had their mouths open. You had to bop them on the head. Mm-hmm. That was that was really fun. You just end up like throwing the bopper to the side and you just start smacking them with your hands. <laughs> this is more efficient. Yeah. And, and like whack-a-mole is such like a part of our culture. Like everyone knows what the game is, right? Right. But no one really ever talks about the history behind it. So I figured I'd, I'll t- spend a little bit of time and, and go over the history of whack-a-mole. All right. Whack-a-mole was actually made by a Japanese person. His name was uh, Kazuo Yamada and he was part of Togo. Uh, now, Togo is an amusement park company. Um, they actually did a bunch of roller coasters. I think they're actually bankrupt right now because um, some of the roller coasters actually failed. Oh, no. But, <laughs> but that, 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 that's a different story. So in the 1960s, like Kazuo Yamada, he asked a designer to come up with a bunch of ideas for an athletic like playground for the employees and their kids, like a break room kind of thing. And the designer came up with a bunch of ideas that were centered around like a jungle theme. So there are like sketches of kids pulling the, the tail of the lion, stepping on a crocodile, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> these are terrible, like these are terrible examples for what to do with actual animals in the wild. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kids, please go in the jungle and please don't pull. This is us putting out the PSA. Yeah, yeah. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. If you ever find yourself in the jungle. Don't mess with animals. <laughs> don't pull the tails. In one of the sketches, though, there was a kid kneeling on the floor and just, like, hitting a, a mole. <laughs> and, like, Kazuo Yamada thought that was hilarious. And it really made an impression on him. But those ideas kind of never came to anything because, like, the break room or whatever, they just never made it. So, yeah, those ideas, like, they were on the back burner for about 10 years. And then in 1974, Yamada started making what would eventually become Whack-A-Mole. Since having the moles come out of the ground themselves would be, um, you know, kind of difficult and like unfeasible for most, most places, you know, he decided to make like a box shaped cabinet and uh, he pitched the idea to his brother, who was the president of Togo. But his brother was like, no way. Like, this is not <laughs> this is not what we do. We got to stick to roller coasters and other amusement mm-hmm. park things. And, you know, who would want to play whack- whack-a-mole? Like, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> he, he kept on trying to pitch it. And he eventually got the approval by the vice president of Togo to go ahead and, like, start prototyping the idea. But even then, like, a lot of the employees were just like, no one's going to want to play this. Like, Japanese people aren't, like, aggressive. And, who, like, who's going to play this in Japan? So after a lot of redesigns and, um, you know, spend a lot of time on the concept phase, Kazo eventually came up with the first version of Whack-A-Mole. He went through a couple of different redesigns. Like at first he was like thinking like, oh, maybe it'll be like a little bit more realistic. But then he thought that if it was too realistic, then people wouldn't want to like whack it, whack the moles. Right. Because they would feel, feel bad about it. And also, you know, he wanted it to appeal to children. And so, like, getting, like, the, the color of the grass and, and the moles w- was very important. 
also the placement of the holes was something that they they tested a lot. So the first version that they released, it was actually like more of a U shape. Oh. And uh, kids would stand in the middle and they would have to like whack on all sides. But what they found out is that it was too much movement. It was too active. And that like, especially little kids, they had a hard time, you know, turning around quickly. Right. It's probably pretty frustrating for some people. Yeah. And it's probably pretty frustrating as well. So Kazo um, redesigned that to make it a, a little bit smaller and more of just like a straight box. And the game would actually be um, licensed by uh, Bandai in uh, 1977. Oh. And uh, if you go on to the sh- show notes, I actually have pictures of those original models. So did they find like a nice happy medium between cartoony and realistic or did they lean one way or the other? Yeah, they definitely went more cartoony in the end. And I think what they ended up with uh, worked. And as you know, it became a huge success. And now everyone knows Whack-A-Mole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that's, um, that was the first game that um, I wanted to introduce. And then um, right around the, the, that same time, we had another arcade game that also kind of kind of involved movement. Uh, it's not as active, but um, this one is, is from Sega. So in 1976, Sega released a game called Motocross, and it was one of the first uh, games that had third-dimensional perspective. The players actually had to move the handlebars to, to drive, and it had hap- haptic feedback as well. Whoa. So it like, vibrated a little bit to give you, you know, that sense of realism. Now, were they mounting like a full bike? Or is it just like, here's a steering apparatus? It's basically just like, here's the steering apparatus. And, and you would okay. stand and move it. In the US, it was actually rebranded, though, as a TV tie-in. Mm. So I want to ask you, what TV show do you think suits mm. you know, motorcycle racing? And what, what year is this again? 1976. 1976. Um... The A team, no, or let's see. I don't. I'm not that familiar with TV shows of that time. Do you think that? Do you think it's a TV show that I would know? Is it pretty famous? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty famous. Okay, uh, the Dukes of Hazard. No, darn. But okay, I think you're in the right time period. But hmm, give me. A, can you give me a hint or? Uh... Hey, <laughs> happy days. Yeah, it's it's Fonz. The Fonz. <laughs> yeah, it's it it's uh it's, it's called just the Fonz in in the U.S. Oh wow! And he's just riding his bike all over. Yeah, it, it's basically <laughs> just they just repurposed the same game, but uh, just changed the cabinet. That's hilarious. It, do the characters in the game look anything like the Fonz? I think it's the same as the Japanese. <laughs> I guess I mean the Fonz was kind of known for his big hair and you know pompadours in Japanese. Yeah, in Japan are pretty kind of works. Uh, popular. Yeah, I guess it works. <laughs> well, uh, this only happened because um, at the time, the U.S. branch of Sega was apparently owned by the Golf and Western Company. So they had access to Paramount's uh, TV's IP. So they were like, hey, everybody loves the Fonz. Just throw them up there. Yeah, <laughs> everyone loves the Fonz. <laughs> yeah, he, had... he didn't jump the shark <laughs> by then, so it was OK. <laughs> that should have been one of the like achievements in the game. Jump a shark. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, basically the game is just uh, you driving around and um, avoiding skidding off the road or avoiding the other bikers and trying to win a race. Mm-hmm. Time for game number three. 
And um, this one is also made by Sega. Uh, I guess Sega, you know, back in, if you're thinking about arcade games, like Sega is like quintessential, right? Right, yeah. A really strong lineup uh, in the 1970s and 80s. This one was uh, actually a boxing game, and it was called uh, Heavyweight Champ. Now, this one was released in the U.S. and Japan, and it's actually sometimes referred to as the first fighting game. So the game had just like two simple characters. People would move, um, use a a, um, boxing glove, and inside that boxing glove was like kind of like this handle, and like moving the boxing glove would basically act as as a joystick. Oh, I see. And moving the joystick would, uh, you know, move the characters or allow them to fight on screen. And I assume that the boxing glove was like tethered to the unit somehow. Yeah. So you couldn't run away with it. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't run away with it. <laughs> and it, it looked very uncomfortable, actually. Mm. Was it like weirdly like oversized or anything? It doesn't seem that big. There's not a lot of information about the first one, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But the game would eventually be re-released later in uh, 1987. And the sequel is such a big hit. And it it did so well that I kind of put the first version, this like really 8-bit simple version, kind of into the shadow realm of obscurity. And there's actually no footage of the original game online. Wow, that's intense. No one can find a working cabinet. So apparently in 2018, there was one lead that uh, opened up where a user on this forum posted a picture of an old cabinet that they found on like an auction website in Japan. But there was never an update to that, and there's no no one knows it what happened to that one because apparently that was the only surviving cabinet that people had seen in years. Wow! And what was the name of it again? Heavyweight Champ. Heavyweight Champ. If you look up Heavyweight Champ, you'll probably get the sequel, but not the original. Was it just called Heavyweight Champ Two? Nope, it was called the same thing, Heavyweight Champ. Oh, well, no they wonder. Pulled, yeah, they pulled a Nintendo. So if anybody out there has an arcade cabinet of Heavyweight Champ, let us know so we can, uh, or, you know, just ship it to us. Just send it to us. Why not? Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll take care of it. <laughs> there are some screenshots of it um, if people want to look it up. Um, it's just very simple, like, 8-bit graphics. Like retro, pixelated. Like uh, Atari style. So the first one didn't take off, but the second one was a big hit, all puns intended. And, you know, because the, the, the cabinet literally gets beat up, mm. um, you know, from people, it, it's a lot of them were probably just thrown away. They're like, oh, I got to I got to punch the guy in the game. And they just shatter the like bezel of the <laughs> arcade machine. Oh, darn it. <laughs> I won. Got to go back to whack-a-mole. Take the glove. Take your glove over to whack-a-mole and just start wailing on the moles. <laughs> yeah. So when I was looking up images of the original whack-a-mole, it was kind of hard to find like the old, old one. And anytime that I found the old, old one, it seemed like it was in the same location because like they're all like there are pictures from different people, but they're all they're all the same uh, location. Mm. So I don't know how many of the original whack-a-moles are left and still functional as well. Yeah, they probably got replaced by something a little more advanced, I would think. Yeah, and they would probably break over time. So was there ever a sequel to the sequel of this game? Was there ever a third entry to Heavyweight Champ? Yeah. Uh, I think it was only released twice. That sound means that we're putting this episode on pause for just a moment so we can briefly explain how you can support Memory Card. 
If you enjoy our content, you can show your support by leaving positive reviews on your podcasting service of choice. Four or five stars and a few kind words go a long way when it comes to convincing others to give the show a listen, so please do so if you find the time. Spreading the word of Memory Card is very helpful. If you know anyone who's into gaming or history or both, then maybe you should consider sharing Memory Card with them or anyone that you find anywhere. Every season, we strive to reach a wider and wider audience, and you can help. If you're feeling extra supportive, you can head over to patreon.com memcard. Every single one of our patrons gets access to early and ad-free episodes. Higher tiers include bonus episodes, shoutouts, and more. We certainly hope you'll check it out and consider becoming one of our lovely patrons. Once again, that's patreon.com memcard. And if you think about it, if you become a patron, you'll never have to hear this ad again. <laughs> How sad. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to hear us out. Let's get back to the show. Um, we're finally out of the arcade era. And we're moving into consoles because, you know, people want to work out when they're home. And, you know, video games have moved into home and people are excited to try out new ways to play. And companies are excited to try to introduce new, new ways to play, right? Mm-hmm. When I was drafting up this episode, one of the first things that came to my mind was actually the power pad for the NES. Right. Yeah. Do you have any experience with it? I actually have one uh, mm-hmm. sitting in this drawer behind me of my like extra video game accessories. I don't know if I've ever actually plugged it into my NES and tried like, oh, okay. you know, all star track and field or anything like that. I've definitely like stomped around on it just for fun <laughs> it's not not attached to, you know very late at night when no one's looking mm-hmm. but um yeah don't have a lot of experience actually using it as a controller but i do have one i've actually never used it but i j- it's just like so iconic to me uh like moving and and video games that mm-hmm. is like the first one i thought of after ddr uh the power pad um in japan it was known as the family trainer uh it was released in europe and the united states as well and uh, it's a floor mat, as you said. It's a uh, pretty big, pretty bulky, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's quite thick. And it's like um, it has like twelve buttons on it, I believe. Yeah, you can. I think you can flip it over. I haven't taken it out in a while. It's got like buttons on one side, and then the other side are just like other kinds of like a different setup, basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was released in uh, 1986, and then I think Nintendo helped get it to the u.s as well but that wasn't the only uh fitness apparatus for the famicom there's actually one that was compatible with the famicom modem cart which is a whole other probably a whole other episode that we'll do someday because <laughs> <laughs> uh the the famicom or, or the nes in japan it had an internet capability very like very basic right checking stocks and stuff like that well Apparently, there's not a lot of information about this, but there was a Famicom fitness system that was um, released, and I th- it might have been made by Nintendo. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, because it, it actually featured Mario in, in the game. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it would like attach, basically attach kind of to bikes, to like stationary bikes. Mm. And apparently the modem would help like send your data and like store it and keep your, keep your records and everything like that. Hmm. 
it's interesting because i was like why would um, you need the internet <laughs> like send yeah. send your current like <laughs> the bike performance to your friend across the country it seems um it's very hard like i said it's very hard to find information about this um i did find like a couple of pamphlets and stuff on twitter that says like the system actually came with like an ear sensor to like monitor heart rate hmm. but i haven't actually seen like what it would look like it was also seemingly re-released multiple times and one release actually went for around uh, 1500 US dollars. Wow. It's pretty pricey. Yeah, only in Japan. And uh, very limited, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Looking at the screenshots, yeah, it seems like Mario was in the game as well. I guess that's another challenge for people, is to find Mario in this uh, Famicom fitness system. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know how many people in Japan actually listen to this podcast <laughs> because it's in English. Yeah. But if anybody knows of anything or, you know, your cousin or your friend or whatever has a lead, feel free to reach out to us. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we would love to uncover and, and help share with, the, with our audience and everybody in the gaming world. Yeah. Well, the last one that I want, uh, the last two that I want to talk about are for the next generation of consoles. And that's the uh, Super Nintendo fitness bike and the Heartbeat personal trainer. Nice. I've definitely seen that fitness bike before. Not not in person, but I've seen like ads online where like there's a girl in a like a leotard, you know? Yeah. <laughs> very, very early 90s uh, fitness get up, like riding this bike. <laughs> um, actually, Kelsey Lewin did a, a really fantastic video on this. So if you want more information about this um, fitness bike, for the Super Nintendo, please go ahead and check that out because this is where I got all my information from. So if I'm wrong, please uh, blame her. <laughs> we'll be sure to include that in the save file for this episode. So in around 1991, Nintendo actually partnered with a company called Life Fitness to release an exercise bike that was developed and for the Super Nintendo. And uh, it was first shown in uh, 1994. So it took about, I guess it took about three years for them to prototype it and to make it and everything like that. And it attaches uh, to the bottom of the Super Nintendo, like through that uh, bottom port. Hmm. I just thought it would like plug in through the normal controller port. The controllers are also connected to the unit, like on top of the bike. And that like allows people to play games while biking. So there was a mountain bike rally and a program that was called um, Life Fitness that were released um, specifically for this add-on. And basically, you would have to pedal as, as, as much as you could to move in the game, and you would use the, the D-pad on, on the controller to move. I did an article once about the most expensive, or I guess the rarest Super Nintendo games, at least the ones that are worth the most money. Mm -hmm. And that was like consistently one of the top ones. I think, uh, and I don't know if you're going to mention this, but I think at some point it was bundled with a Speed Racer game. Yes. So and, it, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead. Tell us about that. There's a combo cart uh, featuring Mountain Bike Rally, Speed Racer, and Life Fitness Program, mm -hmm. and that one is the one that is super duper rare. I don't think there's any like official estimate on how many were produced, but it's definitely pretty low. Yeah. And then they released another version of the stationary bike called the Life Cycle 9XS. And that was meant for gyms in particular. And that had like a TV built in. The normal version of the SNES bike was released for $799. And it was available through infomercials and even in some stores. Um, there are some other games that were planned for this um, fitness bike. Maybe uh, I was going to ask you if, you if you could guess what games were, were planned. But 
maybe you already know this. I I don't know if I do. Not the ones that were planned. I think I only know the ones that actually came out. Now, once again, are these like well-known properties? Yes. Okay. Yes. Excite Bike? Nope. Okay. I'm trying to think of like Paperboy? Nope. Games where you ride a bike. Um You're 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 on the wrong path. On the wrong path. Okay. Um is it like car games? Or racing games? Nope. Oh man. Um Bubsy? <laughs> I really I really don't know. <laughs> so Pac-Man, Tetris, and Dr. Mario. Really? Were also planned, but never came out for the system. That's when I when I think of exercise and biking, I definitely think of those three games. Yeah, because you know you want to work out your mind and your body. Mm-hmm. In your mouth when you're Pac-Man. In your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Waka 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 waka. Waka waka waka. Nintendo wasn't the only one who was like in on this exercise craze. There's actually uh, Sega Genesis or Sega Mega Drive, if you're in Europe, uh, version that was in the works as well. And this one is is also extremely extremely rare. And it went for a retail price of 299 US dollars, which was uh, actually not that bad compared to the SNES one. Mm-hmm. So the Heartbeat Personal Trainer is actually like like a console variant of the Sega Genesis, which would basically monitors people's heartbeat. You're supposed to use it with exercise equipment like treadmills and bikes and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So it's not an actual bike or treadmill. It's just like a, a system that helps monitor everything you're doing. Yes. Bikes sold separately. <laughs> bikes sold separately. Um, it's one of the, the rarest pieces of hardware. Um, maybe only a thousand were actually made. Hmm. And so the information on it is, is very hard to come by. But the, ga- uh, the system was actually bundled with a game called Outback Joey. So that's which is also really rare and very hard to find. Is that the uh, the mascot of Outback Steakhouse? Yes, of course. Delicious steak and working out. Yeah. <laughs> so the game actually isn't dumped yet, according to SegaRetro.org. By which you mean like the, the ROM hasn't been dumped online. Yeah, the ROM is not available online. And that's just because uh, because it needs the heartbeat personal trainers fitness controllers. Oh, I see. And, like, because of that whole setup, it hasn't been actually dumped. Well, maybe someday. I mean, they dumped the, uh, the Workboy programming. That wasn't a dump. That was a hack. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I guess they didn't <laughs> dump that. They, it was a hack. <laughs> maybe some upstanding hacker will, someday. Uh, will find yeah. Outback Joey or whatever and, and get him up on the Internet. So, yeah, the Heartbeat Personal Trainer is able to run any uh, Sega Genesis game. But it actually came bundled with exercise software and motion sensors that were only compatible with the unit. So it would actually take like people's heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And um, the heartbeat would control the, the speed of uh, Joey, the kangaroo. Oh, okay. So like if you were, you know, really intense working out, I think Joey would go faster. I was just picturing like a guy with a knife, like Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> <laughs> not, not an actual kangaroo. But that makes a lot, a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah. So other games like um, NHLPA Hockey 93, Outlander, PGA Tour Golf, and Earthworm Jim were also planned to use the, the feature uh, the, of this console, but it never worked out. Hmm. I think that about does it for our warm-up for today. What do you think? Are you tired out? 
I mean, I'm I'm sweating. I've definitely uh, lost a few pounds just thinking about all this uh, active gaming. But uh, I am interested because I know that you've done the research to to hear the part two of this, which will, will probably be dropping, geez, next season because we have such a, a full schedule already. Yeah. But uh, I know you're big into the ring fit, or at least you were. Yes. And uh, we didn't even get to the history of DDR. So I think this was a good warm up. I'm really excited to actually talk about the, the, the development of Ring Fit Adventure because I feel like I'm the only person on the internet that actually cares about that game. Sometimes, <laughs> even though the game has sold so well, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I feel like I'm the only one who is like actually talking about it. And whenever I talk about it, it, it gets no <laughs> traction or, or anything like that. People just ignore it. It might be more of a casual crowd that are uh, getting way into it and they might not be the ones who, you know. Follow, follow those super in-depth people uh, on Twitter and such. So, mm-hmm. It's a blue ocean. That's right. Trying to expand my audience. And also get fit. And also get fit. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his bangin' beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow. Or you can visit our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBenTendo and at PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, all of which get access to early, ad-free episodes. This includes Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Harrison, Jose Acosta, Jorge Bajija, Manuel Vitella, Ray Schneider, Nick Callis, and Shala. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com memcard. We'll be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon.